0: 1 John 2.28-3.18 And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born in him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he... (coughs) But you know that he appeared so that we might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity for them, how can, we, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth.
1: Okay, good morning. How good was Jack's song? I think he wrote it over the last week. Just a true talents. The next column you can and be sure. Did a good job. Um, last Sunday we began a series in One John. Can I encourage you if you haven't, if you missed last week, you can hear it online. I'm going to recap just a couple of quick things from last week before we jump into chapter three uh, this week. So last week I suggested that the purpose of One John is that people would have reassurance of their salvation. That I think it's on the top of your outline there as well, to reassure believers that they have life and fellowship in God's family if they walk in obedience, truth, and love. And John did this in the context of false teachers who were perhaps seeking to lead them astray. So the action item from last week's sermon, if you recall, was there was two kind of key things we need to hold tightly. One was that we need to take sin seriously. We need to own up to our sin rather than hiding or pretending it's not significant. And the other was, we need to rely on Jesus for our forgiveness as our atoning sacrifice. we said that these two things come together really well in confession, as we own up to our sins before God, confess our sins, and rely on Jesus to forgive us our sins. Just as it says in 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So that was, that was last week as chapter one. Uh, I hope that as the week went on, you're able to reflect a bit on that in your own life and perhaps practice living out, confessing and turning away from sin. Chapter two, uh, which we're not looking at substantially today, uh, we learn a little bit more about the false teachers that had kind of popped up amongst them in the church. Uh, this is what John says about them in chapter two, verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. John doesn't mess around with his words. He's quite harsh, I think, in the way that he thinks about this and does it quite deliberately. He calls their people, these false teachers, Antichrists. He's basically saying... We shouldn't be surprised when Antichrist types pop up amongst you because, in fact, we are in the last times, the time between Christ's first appearing and his return, and we've been told to expect them. The thing about the Antichrist in, chapter, in uh, 1 John that surprises me is that they weren't some kind of external threat or you know, cult that's coming and threatening the church from outside, but they actually come from within them. How confronting would that be? Can you imagine what it might be like to be in a church context where a loved uh, friend or community group group member starts espousing falsehoods about Jesus? Perhaps these are people who, you know, can you imagine being in a church where someone starts saying, oh, actually the way we live doesn't matter. Um, In fact, we can have fellowship with God and live however we like. Possibly start saying something about Jesus which minimises his holiness or divinity. Maybe, um, can you imagine being in a church like this where people pop up from within us, even church leaders who overtly are living immoral lives or perhaps having a public affair and yet claiming fellowship or authority to teach the scripture. I hope no one here has ever had to be in a church context like that though I suspect some of you may have. How do we know who to listen to? How do we know? How can we identify false teachers among us? Well, I wanted to know what antichrists look like, so uh, I went to Google image search and typed in antichrist. (laughs) Any, Any guesses whose faces appeared? No one's brave enough. Well, I'll tell you, there was Obama, there was Trump, there was Marilyn Manson and the Pope. So I'm not sure... The Google image is necessarily the best way to find out, uh, who the Antichrists are. Okay, so, One John, however, is, One John is a fantastic place to go for, uh, a, a Lippmann's test of what do false teachers look like. In fact, in One John, we get three tests. Three tests. A pop quiz for sorting out the sheep from the wolves. Um, John Stott, who's written a lot on this, in fact a lot of, a lot of theologians agree, John Stott identifies three tests in the book of 1 John. They are, and in your outline if you want to see them there, the three tests are the moral test of obedience, the social test of love, and the doctrinal test of truth concerning Christ. And in the book of One John, kind of loops around between these three tests in in cycles. So we're picking up just part of that cycle, the middle cycle in chapter three today. As you read One John, can I encourage you to use these three tests in two ways? Like, firstly, do use them as a way of like a diagnostic test for trying to work out uh, what might be false or who the false teachers might be. But secondly, use them as a self-diagnosis as well. Use the test to try and um, allow that kind of microscope of God's Word to angle in on our own hearts. And maybe um, by His Spirit, God will identify things in our own lives uh, that we need to work on. And that's, that's what we pray that will happen as we uh, follow God and uh, live out the righteousness of God in our lives. We would hear His Word and change our lives. So, the first test is the moral test. Let's get into it. You'll see it in 1 John 2 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. It's a bit of a no brainer, isn't it? Who are the the righteous? Uh, Those who do right. Be righteous as he is righteous. What qualities do you share with your parents? People have told me that one thing I share with my dad is a tendency to be a bit busy. Um, My dad is someone who likes a good project, and I certainly fall into that category as well. Some people have labelled me perhaps as restless, and I have been identified by my wife as being Mr. Efficiency Man, uh, which mostly is a good thing, but on that last day of the holiday when you're away with another family, and it's the first person to start packing up, Oh, you've ruined the holiday, now we're packing up, the holiday's over. So I've been learning to just tame that energy a little bit um, and not be so efficiency man all the time. So that's a quality I might share with my dad. For my children, I'm looking at Georgia at the front here, what qualities do uh, they share with me? I can tell you that my youngest, Evie, a youngest child, shares qualities with Jenny, my wife. So a lot of people will say, oh, Evie looks just like her mum. Uh, I I think there is some resemblance, but I think the thing that's uncanny to me is the qualities that Evie s- shares in terms of personality traits with Jen. So um, both Evie and Jen are wonderfully uh, how should I say it? Are wonderfully determined people. Uh, very very yes. Jen's at the second service. I might edit. No, I've I've asked her. I've asked her. It's okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, both. Uh, so Evie is that kind of third child, dependent self um I'm trying to tame my words, self willed person. Um Jen's dad when he comes to visit uh looks at Evie and her antics and just kind of smiles and says, You were just like this, Jen. <laughs> it's coming back for you now. <laughs> so I think there is that, that tendency uh, you can see I'm trying really hard to be like the teacher writing a report. You know, I'm not, I haven't used the words uh, like <laughs> a stubborn hasn't come up. so <laughs> I'm just digging a hole, aren't I? Um, <laughs> in what ways are we like our Father God? Well, we are children of God. where John tells us several times that we're born of God. He says in 2.29, which I read in 3.9. And with great excitement in the start of chapter 3, John says, See what great love, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And like a parent and their child, we should expect the children of God to reflect God-like qualities in their lives. And this is, this is at the heart of the first test, of the moral test. Who are the children of God? Well, we should expect to see them have Godlike qualities in their life pretty high bar for morality the first test who are the children of god those who have godlike qualities so what are the godlike qualities well the big one that john identifies is righteousness and purity uh, and love and light we saw last week so john 1 229 we saw you know that he is righteous so anyone who does what is right has been born of him uh, and then in John 3 3, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. And in John 3 7, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. So the moral test who are the children of God? Well, not those who just know, know the right stuff about God, but those who live out the righteousness of God in their lives. Because he is righteous. It's a high bar. What motivates us to live righteous lives? Uh, I don't think just rules motivate us very well. Um, In 1 John, there's a couple of two things that are identified in this passage as things that should motivate us to live righteous lives. And they are the first and second appearing of Christ. So, the first, or firstly, the return of Christ. in, in 2.28, we read, And now, dear children, continue in Him, continue in Christ, so that when He appears, we may be confident and unashamed before Him at His coming. The return of Christ, the pending return of Christ, is our powerful motivation for Christians to live righteous lives. If we don't know when He's going to come. He's coming soon. So let's not be caught with our pants down, so to speak, but be prepared ...for his return. The pending return of Christ is a powerful motivation. So live in him so that we not, may not be ashamed at his coming. And this idea, this motivation for righteous living... ...is expanded in chapter 3 and verse 2. It says, Dear friends, now we are children of God... ...and what we will be has not yet been made known. There's some mystery about about it. But, what do we know? But we know that when Christ appears... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. As children of God, we have a sure hope that when Christ appears, we will seek him and be like him. So, live a pure life now. Be ready for his return. So, live righteous because God is righteous. What motivates us? Firstly, the second coming of Christ. Uh, secondly, the first appearance of Christ. The first appearance of Christ motivates us to live righteous lives and we see this in John, well, 1 John 3, 5. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Christ came to deal with our sin. That, that is what his first appearing did. He took it away in his death on the cross. I think once we've grasped this truth, grasped the heart of the gospel, how could we be comfortable to continue living a lifestyle marked by sin? If God's provided this atoning sacrifice for us, why would we go back uh, to the darkness and a lifestyle of wickedness. Verse eight pushes this idea a little further. So you look at one John three eight. Uh, no, one, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. So Christians live a righteous life. Why? Don't go back and kind of rebuild what Christ came to destroy. How do we rebuild what Christ came to destroy? I think it's by living a life that entertains sin, that is motivated by sin rather than righteousness. Uh, John Stott puts it this way, to continue in a lifestyle of sin denies the purpose of both his appearings. If we would be loyal to his first coming and ready for his second, we must purify ourselves as he is pure. So, the, how can we possibly do that? How can we purify ourselves? Well, I don't think it's meant to be a trick language here. John's saying we need to live a pure life, we need to resist sin and take sin seriously. And 1 John 1 9 confess our sin as he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. John doesn't paint using colors and shades and tones and this book I think is painting with stark black and white. He's putting people into two camps. He's saying here's the simple truth, don't be deceived. 1 John 3 verse 6, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. How can you tell who the children of God are? Look to their behaviour. In Matthew 7, Matthew puts it like this, by their fruit you will recognise them. John splits humans into two camps, children of God and children of the devil. 1 John three nine: No one who is born of God will continue in sin. Everyone's gone very quiet, just because you're attentive listeners. Maybe I should check in with you and see how this is sitting. How do you feel? Do you feel crushed? Uh, perhaps you're questioning which camp you belong in. Are you going to say, well, that's it for me. I must be a child of the devil and I'm out of here. I think feeling that way is okay, because we are to take sin seriously and it's a somber topic but let's get it in the context of what one john is about and go back to our purpose statement for one john is to reassure believers of eternal life in the face of false teaching so john john actually is going to great lengths to encourage his readers by drawing a distinction between the loved children of god his his audience who are listening to his his letter and those evil others who embrace lies and sin, the children of the devil. Maybe it's helpful if we kind of thrash out a little bit here what these two camps look like. So who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? Now John paints it this way. So the children of God, if you think of column A here, those that walk in light and truth, those who display God-like traits in their life, those who confess their sins and trust in Jesus as their advocate, their atoning sacrifice of forgiveness. Does it mean that the children of God will never commit a a sin act? Well, it can't be saying that. 1 John 1 has gone to great lengths to explain that all Christians still struggle with sin. If we claim to be without sin, we're a liar. So rather than being never having a sin act in your life. Uh, 1 John saying the children of God are those who are born of God and they're marked by a life that's orientated towards Him rather than towards sin and the world. The children of God are those who seek Him and desire to live out the righteousness that God has put in their life. They're so captured and transformed by God's mercy that they want to live for Him. So the children of God are those who Trust in his sacrifice of forgiveness, and seek to live out his righteousness and this stands in stark contrast to can 't be children of the devil, those who deny sin altogether or at least deny its significance in their lives, those who allow sin to sit persistently and comfortably and yet claim fellowship with god I say it doesn 't matter how I live. who are the children of the devil it 's those who walk in darkness they're self-deceiving liars and in chapter 2 verse 22 they deny that jesus is the christ and lead people astray claiming some counterfeit anointing or understanding of god john john just says these are antichrists they are in opposition to god so how can we tell them apart uh check out their life the first test, the moral test of obedience. To we move on to the second test? The second test I will treat uh, a little, with a little more brevity. second test is the social test of love. It's in chapter 3, 11 to 18. In fact, we can see other places in the book where this is brought out. And it's, a, it's one that I think sits more comfortably with us as believers, but perhaps is harder to apply. The social test of love. How can we tell who are the children of God? The ones that love each other. So 1 John three fourteen, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. John picks up on uh, this same idea that he put out in the Gospel of John, in chapter 13, 34. A new command I give you, says Jesus, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The Christian family is marked by love. Why? Why is it so important? Well, firstly, Jesus commands it. We just read, and John reminds us of this new command. In fact, it was an old command made new. We see it in chapter two. So, why love? Because Jesus commands it. Because God is love. Uh, whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. Because He first loved us. One John four nineteen, and you know, love is the first of the fruits of the Spirit is the greatest gift, is a defining character trait of God. Why love? Uh, It's a Christian imperative because of who God is and what He has done for us. How can we receive so comfortably the love of God and and not live it out in our lives? Make no mistake, love is a badge of authentic faith. Can I just say uh, two things about the test of love which come out in chapter 3? Firstly, Christian love seems to be set up in opposition to the world. Christian love opposes the world and the love of the world. In 1 John, the world is seen as the domain of the devil. The world is the domain of the devil. And to love the world is like walking in darkness. It's walking in league with the devil. Now, this doesn't mean that we can't enjoy things that are in the world, we can't go for a bushwalk and, and admire creation. In fact, I'll tell you the op- opposite. It doesn't mean that we can't enjoy our families I've gone on a great uh, family picnic. The idea uh, of the world is not that there's nothing good about it, it's just this is, in this context, it's the domain of darkness. So to love the world and the lust of the world is not to, to love Christ or one another. The idea of the world is it's in opposition to God uh, whom we belong to. I think we see it pretty clearly in 1 John chapter 2, in verse thir- 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. So don't, don't belong to the world or love the temporary things of the world rather belong to the father who is love and love one another okay so that's the first thing about love love and the world sit uncomfortably together in fact are in opposition secondly what is christian love like uh, Our back jack explained this well in the kids talk uh, i think love is a verb uh, some of you might be the right generation to remember dc talk song love is a verb Uh, I won't sing it for you. Perhaps we'll get uh, Chris or someone to sing it after the church. Um, Maybe not. He might not be up for that. Uh, Love is a verb. It's an action word. Love is all about doing. Maybe um, we could see as Christian love is not just lip service, but it is love in action. And our model of love is none other than Christ himself. Just like God is our model of righteousness, Jesus is our model of love. And what is Jesus' love like? 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. John doesn't allow us to leave love as a concept out there, like a, it's a nice ideology. He forces us to bring it in close. We see, uh, If we see a brother and sister in need, and we have the capacity to do something about it and we really, love compels us to act. Love is an action. 1 John 3.18 Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but in actions and truth. It's perhaps a harder call, isn't it? It's easy to say, yes, we love each other. It's a little harder uh, to sometimes let, live that out. Uh, but that's, that's the cool of the Christian faith. Can we do that for every single person and every moment? I, I don't think so. There's a practicality around this. But if we want to love each other, at the very least, we've got to get to know people and invest in uh, the lives of those who we meaningfully intersect with. Okay? All right. How can we identify the children of God? Well, firstly, look to righteousness. Look to their righteousness. This is the moral test of behavior, of obedience. We need to look for their love. This is the social test of sacrificial love. And thirdly, look to their message, the doctrinal test of truth. Uh, I'm going to leave this one for next week, uh, the doctrinal test of truth. You can see it as you read through one, John. It comes up a lot as John identifies false teachers by their false claims about who Jesus is. So now for the tricky part for this week. It's easy for me to stand up here and say these things, it's much harder for me and I'm sure for others to put them into practice, but that's the challenge. Can I challenge you this week, think about how you're going to live out your righteousness, how you're going to grow in your love that's in action, love for one another. These are things that we can only do in the strength and the empowering of God, while we lean fully on his lavish love for us and his great mercy. I'm going to pray that God will empower us to do that um, and then I'll... We'll hand back. Let's pray. Our gracious God, you love us so immensely and self sacrificially. We see this in Jesus. And you are righteous. Thank you that you have made us your children. Thank you that we enjoy all that that means. Help us to have God like qualities in our life help us to model our lives on Jesus and we can only do this because you enable it by your spirit we you can only do this empowered empowered by your uh, by you and our lives please identify in an ongoing way things in our hearts and lives that we are holding back from you whether they be righteousness or whether it be selfishness or lust identify them in our lives lord help us to confess them and to continue in you as your children. And we look forward to the day of your return and ask that you'll come. In Jesus' name, amen.